Hey friends, hello and welcome to my first episode of Celebrate Life with Pandian. I'm so excited to be starting this journey with all of you. Today we have a very special guest with us, Jason Goldberg. He's a mental performance and leadership coach for celebrities, change makers and CEOs. Jason has been featured in various media platforms like CBS, Fox, Mindvalley and Evercoach. He has founded multiple startups, including one in partnership with NASA and Space Shuttle program. Jason is one of the wonderful human being who can make you feel instantly confident, happy and light just by his presence and humor. Welcome to the show, brother. It's good to have oh, you here. Man. What an amazing introduction, man. I feel like my mom wrote that as sweet as it was. Like, that was so lovely. Thank you, Penny. I appreciate you having me here, man. And congrats on the first episode of your new show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. Without our conversation, what we had in December, we might have, this might have not started at all. So thank you for that. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Okay. Let's get started, Jason. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Like, I mean, do you want me to start inside my mother's womb? Because it was very dark. <laughs> I couldn't see a whole lot. The internet reception inside there is terrible. Uh, it's the, the, there's no Wi-Fi in the womb, which I, I didn't realize uh, when, I, when I was being born. No, uh, so, I, uh, so I was born to a, a single mother. Uh, my father okay. left my mom when she got pregnant. He didn't want to have any kids, and so he just left and never came back. And so it was always just me and mom, and it was kind of just the two of us, you know, living life together. And and I'm an only child as well, so it was literally just the two of us. She never remarried or anything else. And, you know, from a very young age, my mom is the most loving, amazing, wonderful human in the world. And because of her own upbringing, she dealt with a lot of anxiety and depression and things that she was never taught how to navigate, right? And, and so it just becomes her experience of life. And then mm -hmm. me being a kid in that environment, that became my experience of life. And so stress mm -hmm. and depression and anxiety, and for me, even suicidal ideation into my late 20s, early 30s, oh. that, became, mm -hmm. that became my life. And so as somebody who was trying to navigate that, trying to cope with, you know, the heaviness and, and the sadness and all the stuff that I experienced as a kid, a teenager, you know, 20s, 30s, all that stuff, early on, I knew that I had to find some kind of coping mechanism. And as a kid, I didn't call it a coping mechanism. I had no idea what was going on. I just knew mm -hmm. I didn't feel good and I wanted to feel better. And for me, I turned to food. And so okay. food became my coping mechanism. And so from a very young age, I was kind of the, the chubby kid, you know, from mm -hmm. a young age. And then it kept getting yeah. worse and worse and worse. And when I was 15, I was 250 pounds. And then once mm -hmm. I got up to uh, my late 20s, I ended up being 332 pounds, oh. which is dangerously morbidly obese, 150 plus kilos. Uh, mm -hmm. and it was, it was not, it was not a good, not a good time for me, um, physically, mentally or anything else. And so it really took for me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I had a great career. I was in technology consulting for 15 years and, and, you know, that stuff was all working. I had the house, I had the car, I had the, what I thought was the perfect relationship. I had all the things that you're supposed to get. And like mm -hmm. so many people who get all the things they think they're supposed to get, it still felt mm -hmm. like something was missing. And so I had this moment, uh, thank goodness, I had this moment in 2009, and this is when I was director of engineering for a, a, an IT consulting firm in, in back in Florida where I used to live. And I had this moment, it's the first chapter of my book, Prison Break, where I had this really big wake-up call that if I didn't make some changes to my own life, and especially my health, that I may not be around very okay. long to experience mm -hmm. more life. And so Go that ahead. became the kind of entry point for me into personal growth. So I didn't even mm -hmm. start, I didn't read my first personal growth book until I was like almost 30 years old. I didn't even touch mm -hmm. it. And so that became like the, the entry point for me to start working on my own transformation. 
How old were you, Jason, at that time? So, yeah, I was 20, 29 years old when I had like that big wake up call. And that was kind of what started me on the path of saying like, okay, you know, I know other people in the world who have mm -hmm. been through objectively worse things than me. And this is not to mm -hmm. compare traumas, but you know, mm -hmm. whatever, everybody has their own stuff. But I felt like there are people that I knew who had been through much worse crises than I had been through. And mm -hmm. they didn't seem to have the same level of depression and anxiety and things like that that I did. Mm -hmm. And so as an IT person, and if you know anybody in IT or if you've ever been in IT yourself, mm -hmm. you know that 80% of our job is reverse engineering, right? Looking yeah. what's already working, working backwards to figure out how they made it work and then go make mm -hmm. it work somewhere else, right? That, yeah. That's how we did it. And so I tried to bring that same mentality and said, well, there's obviously something they know that I don't know. Let me see if mm -hmm. there's a way that I can kind of reverse engineer the joy mm -hmm. that they experience in my own life. And so that's mm -hmm. when I started reading the personal growth stuff. And that was, yeah, about 29 years old. Oh, that's an uh, interesting story to listen to, Jason. And uh, how did it all started with the personal growth, Jason? Did you pick it with your mental health or you started with your physical health, then went on to your personal growth? How did that happen? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So they, they coincided together in okay. that I was working on my, my physical health and my mental health at the same time. Mm -hmm. But, but the whole time I still had this, I, I still had a belief in the back of my head mm -hmm. that if I just lost the physical weight, everything would be fine. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sad and I'm, I'm depressed and I'm anxious. And yeah, there's probably some like mindset stuff to do and I can reverse engineer, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I'm like, if I just lost the weight, the physical weight, I, I, it would all be better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going through this process. I'm, I'm working on my, my in between the ear stuff, the mental mm -hmm. stuff, and I'm working on the physical stuff. And I lose uh -huh. the physical weight and surprise, there's still a bunch of anxiety <laughs> and sadness and stuff that's there. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I really came to the understanding that weight can come in different forms, right? Yeah. There's mm -hmm. the physical weight that we carry around, but there's also the mental weight. There's the emotional weight. There's the financial weight, right? Worrying about money all the time, which I was mm -hmm. always doing. There was all these different types of weight that I was carrying around. And what I realized through this whole process is the more weight that I was carrying around, physical or otherwise, the longer I would wait, W-A-I-T, the longer I would mm -hmm. wait to go out and do the things I wanted to do in the world. I was holding myself back from putting myself out in the world, starting my first business, being more self-expressed, showing my silly, goofy side with the world and all these things mm -hmm. that felt scary to do. That was all the mental stuff that I had to work on. And so that's why I now really am so passionate about helping people lose the weight, but I want them to lose the W-A-I-T weight. I want them to mm -hmm. stop waiting. I want them to get confident and put themselves out there. And that happens as a result of losing the weight, the W-E-I-G-H-T weight, the mental Got weight, the, the emotional weight, all that stuff. And by the way, I'm a big fan of your metaphors and distinctions, uh, Jason. And I've, oh, used a lot, I, I've used a lot of yours for helping my clients. Oh, amazing. And one of my favorite uh, thing is... Uh, being a thermostat rather being a thermometer. Can we talk about that? that that's a great way. And that's not one of mine. Thermometer versus mm. uh, thermostat is not even one of mine, but but it's a great one, right? And, and I, mm. I kind of talk about it in a different way. My own personal one is, is a security camera versus security guard, right? Mm -hmm. So what I mean there is if you're watching uh, a, a, a feed, like a closed uh, TV feed of a security mm -hmm. camera, and let's say it's a security camera inside of a, a waiting room for a, a doctor's office. Okay. If we look at that room mm -hmm. as a metaphor for our consciousness, right? For our awareness, for our life, okay. that room encompasses everything that could possibly happen. People, places, things, feelings, emotions, it's all in there. Mm -hmm. But the room itself, the room that all this stuff is contained in 
it has no problems with anything that's inside of it, right? Like in my room right now where I'm at, mm-hmm. this room doesn't care what kind of couch I put into it. It doesn't mm-hmm. care of, of who comes in and who goes out. It's completely in acceptance. There's no resistance to any mm-hmm. experience inside the room. And so if I look at that and I pretend I'm watching a security camera, there's nothing I can do. Whether mm-hmm. I have a preference or I don't have a preference, this stuff is all happening and I can just witness it. Versus mm-hmm. being a security guard. A security guard says, well, something's not the way that I think it should be, so I need to step in and change it. Well, mm-hmm. not always. We don't always need to step in and change anything. Sometimes it's just the acceptance of the situation or acceptance of the feeling at hand that then gives us the, the clarity to be able to actually make meaningful, intentional change. That's very powerful, Jason. Thank you, man. Uh, and it, it's, it's tickling my thoughts. I'm just yeah, uh, yeah. So what comes uh, up for you when I say that? Like, uh, what, what do you think uh, when you when you hear that? Uh, the moment when I hear that, uh, I for a minute I thought, am I being the watchman or am I sitting inside the room? Yeah, uh, that's yeah. a very big difference. What can bring it to the people? That's so true. I love that you said that, and that's a great thing for everybody listening to this to think about. Like in this exact moment, do you feel like you're more of a security camera where you're just witnessing everything with no resistance, or are you more of a security guard trying to manipulate and mold and change everything to be perfect to your liking? Awesome, Jason. And then, how did you pick this particular persona, Jason, for coaching uh, high performers, CEOs, and celebrities? How did you end up coaching these type of guys? I'm curious about that. Yeah, it, it wasn't, I'd like to say it was intentional, but I, I planned it. It wasn't intentional at all. So my whole thing when I first started coaching, and it's been, this year is actually 10 years uh, since I started oh. coaching. Oh, congratulations on that, Jason. It's been a decade. It's been a decade. I know it's gone by so fast. I can't even mm-hmm. like, when I thought about it, I was like, wait, really? 10 years? It makes me feel kind of old, actually. Uh, but uh, but I, feel, I feel great. I feel younger than I've ever felt. Um, but when I first got into coaching, mm-hmm. I didn't like the idea of trying to have a niche. It just okay. felt too, it felt too constricting and there's nothing wrong with having a niche, but for me personally, I didn't feel like that was going to be good for me. And so my entire lens became as, as a starting off coach. And I, and I think mm-hmm. all coaches can benefit from doing this is find somebody with a pulse and a problem. Mm-hmm. That's it. And if somebody, you find somebody with a pulse and a problem and you can actually help them with it, mm-hmm. that's all that matters. So okay. instead of trying to say, oh, I want to coach celebrities, now let me work mm-hmm. backwards and see how I do that, or I want to coach CEOs, let me work backwards and see how I do that, I just started helping people. And in the midst of helping people, somebody then introduces me to this person, and somebody introduces mm-hmm. me to this person, and I meet this person who's a celebrity stylist, and she says, I want you to coach one of my stylist clients who's an A-list actress. Like, it mm-hmm. all comes from these connections and these relationships, but it's all rooted in service, right? It's mm-hmm. about being out in the world and just being of service and letting the rest kind of unfold on its own. Can you sense you what you really wanted in the place? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I had, I have a north star for myself oh. of 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 wanting to leave everybody I meet with at least five percent more joy than I found them. Right, that's my north star. That's that's so very powerful, that's Jason. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, and everybody can create that for themselves, right? Like, I want everybody that's listening to this to think about like what's the thing that you want to leave the world with either 5% more of or 5% less of, right? Because for me, I say I want to leave people with 5% more joy, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I want to leave them with 5% less suffering, right? Because mm-hmm. those two things kind of are different sides of the same coin. And so when I really anchor into that, then it makes it, it, makes it much easier to decide what actions I'm going to take because I just ask myself, does this contribute to my mission of leaving everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than I found them? So listening to that particular thing, Jason, uh, 
I'm just a little curious about this. When you said suffering and joy, uh, do you think uh, people, uh, when they remove suffering, the joy increases? Can we take it that way? Is that what you're so. trying to do? Yeah, I think so. I, I remember one of my teachers uh, saying one time, he, he was talking to a, a student and she, she was trying to understand, you know, happiness and unhappiness and where it comes mm -hmm. from and how do you source it and everything else. And he takes her through kind of a, just a self-inquiry to, to really kind of look at, at her beliefs. And at the end, he says, uh, what do you call the experience uh, mm -hmm. when you can't find the unhappiness anymore? And she okay. goes, I don't know. And he goes, it's called happiness. Oh, like when you can't find that cool. happiness, what's left is happiness. And so in some ways, I feel like what you're saying is the same thing there. It's like, you know, the, the absence of suffering means joy. Now, at the same time, I don't want to say that full stop because I do believe that there is some level of suffering that may be required at some mm -hmm. point, right? I want to, I want to reduce the unnecessary suffering, but there's some level of suffering that I think is, is actually healthy and can be helpful. Mm -hmm. The key here is to understand, and this is a, can be a very challenging thing to do, but it's a practice that I, 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 I try to do myself and I would invite anybody else to try as well, is to understand that there are different uh, flavors mm -hmm. of joy. Mm -hmm. Because I think when people think of joy, they think of joy, exuberance, I'm over the top, oh my God, I'm so happy, my life is amazing. That is one form of joy. Mm -hmm. But there's also the joy of just being contented and peace, peaceful. Mm -hmm. There's the joy of, uh, of knowing that you did something good to be of service to somebody else. There's the joy of understanding that you have the mental capacity to learn from something that didn't go the way you wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can expand our definition of joy, it becomes much easier to actually experience joy. Awesome. What's your definition of joy, Jason? At this moment. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's that it's, it's, it's moment by moment. So like right now, my definition of joy is being in connection with you and having this conversation, right? Cause mm -hmm. that's like, that's where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. Anything that might happen after this is none of my business, right? I have no idea what's going to happen after this. So okay. my purpose, my joy right now is just to be in connection with you and to be of service. And that's, I love that. It changes moment by moment. Super. And what is the biggest challenge with most of the clients, what you have seen, at least in the last one or two years, right? Do you see a pattern of things, Jason, especially with high performers, right? And the pattern, what I have seen is, right, uh, especially what have worked for my clients over the past year and a half is a very simple thing. It's just slowing them down. Mm. Slowing them down worked miraculously well. <laughs> It's because, it's uh, uh, because they were all 40 plus years of experience with people. They ran businesses and all that. They know what to do. But the only thing is they did not create the space for the magic to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, really... I strongly believe that right? you, you do all your work, but you'll have to give up the space for the magic to happen. You'll have to slow it down. And what so, and what do you find? I'm curious. What do you find is is their biggest like when you talk to them about slowing down? Do they say, "Yeah, that makes sense. I should do that," or they're like, "No, if I slow down, I'm going to lose, and I'm not going to have my edge and all that stuff." Yeah. The the second thing is what everybody's saying. Yeah. They're saying the moment when they calm down, they feel they're not competitive enough anymore. Right. And then they're not able to wrap in their head, thinking they can be joyful and then also be successful. Right. They right. always think in a hammer wheel, right? They think uh, they'll have to be competitive. They, will, they should always be in the hustle console to do things. Yeah. And the moment when they lose something out the site, say, even for my own experience, right? 
i was uh, working so hard even though i was working on things which i love but one fine day uh, when i was in connecticut i i just fainted mm. and then yeah. when i opened my eyes i was on the lap of the first responders so i was working for straight 12 to 4 for close to 2 days i didn't realize that yeah and then when they were taking me to the hospital that is when i realized oh god shit this is not me yeah that was like a rebirth for me that That's is true. when i started slowing down then mm. i went in that is when i my personal growth started kicking in more mm. what am i really doing and why am i doing it then i worked on my personal growth for almost close to 5 7 years now then i have got a lot of clarity mm. and what and the only thing what i found right jason uh, the moment when i realized what i really want to do that is when everything else went away from me mm. yeah so the the kind of clarity right for that clarity i worked a lot i was so curious i was not uh, putting myself on a pressure yeah i i i was just curious that's right I, uh, it's just the way it is right yeah. that's of the whole the title of the podcast celebrate life right it it came just like that yeah. so i was having a conversation with a monk okay i'm very curious about talking to different people jason this yeah. is one of my zone of genius so the moment when i found that i i love having conversation with people just like what we are having now yeah and then with that monk i interestingly said i asked him a straightforward a strong question Hey, tell me something which can change my life. Mm. And then he laughed at me because uh, looking at him, right? I saw peace in his face. There was joy in his eyes. I, the moment when I saw him, I, I was able to accept that. Then he said, uh, he asked me, when will you celebrate life? Mm. I said, celebrate life. Did I hear it right? Uh, then he asked me, hey, what else do you celebrate? I celebrate my anniversary, my birthday, anything, anything, whatever it is, a festival of our kind. We celebrate all that. And then he asked me, "Have you ever thought of celebrating your life as a whole?" And mm. it's it struck me hard. And I said, I, "Nobody have told me. I have not. I have not read in any books. Not my parents. Oh, nobody have told me this concept. But I found it very interesting." Then I asked him. can we really celebrate our life then he gave a pat at my back and said life is the biggest gift what you can ever get start celebrating it oh from that moment i started exploring ways to celebrate life every other moment that is where we are love that i love that that's so it's so awesome and i think it's that's really powerful and and, and it was actually it aligns with one of my words for 2022 was uh was reverence mm-hmm. right reverence like a deep mm-hmm. you know a deep love a deep devotion for mm-hmm. life right and mm-hmm. so 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 reverence for life was kind of a big thing for me in 2022 and one of the things that i that was helpful for me with that is i created this kind of fun game exercise for myself cuz that's what i do cuz i'm a weirdo uh and and that's how all my tools get built for my clients because i need them for me first and then i say okay well maybe i'll give it to them too and so i had this this idea of What if I pretended that life I I I gave I personified life and I said life mm-hmm. is a person right and mm-hmm. life is my best friend. Mm-hmm. So let's assume that life is my best friend. Mm-hmm. And every day when I wake up it's life's birthday. 
right? Oh. It's like my best friend, it's my best friend's birthday. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but my best friends, sometimes on their birthdays, they want to do stuff that I could not care less to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Come on, guys, let's, let's go, you know, bungee jump. Let's go, you know, paragliding. Let's go do a pub crawl and drink beer all day. And I'm like, oh, this is, I don't want to do any of that. But it's my best friend's birthday. Mm-hmm. And if that's what my best friend wants to do on their birthday, then that's what I'm going to do because I want to mm-hmm. celebrate them. And there are other days where my best friend wants to do exactly what I want to do. And that's awesome. And I get to celebrate that. And so the more I kind of like tease that apart and really make life into something, life into an object, which kind of goes against a lot of the things I typically think. But in this particular example, it works well. If I make life a person that's my best friend, then no matter what life brings to me, I can just say, well, that's what my best friend wants. I love my best friend. So let's go. That's an interesting way of seeing things, uh, Jason. Putting yourself in front and then giving your persona and then working on it. Beautifully works. And then I have an exercise with some of my clients. Yeah. Just making them sit. I will ask them to put in a chair and then recreate themselves and talk to them. Oh, I love and that. Th- 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 that have phenomenally worked well. At least for the yeah. last two weeks, I'm working with the person. Uh, it, it, th- that particular single exercise have moved the needle big time. Mm. Yeah. And coming back to the question, Jason, yeah. uh, what is the common pattern of challenges what you have seen from your clients? Yeah, it's so funny, man. It's like, I, I, it never ceases to amaze me how <laughs> literally somebody who is a, uh, a, the owner of a digital marketing agency, uh, somebody who is an, an, an A-list actor and somebody who has terminal cancer and is actually going to probably pass away in the next six months, all, mm-hmm. all people that I've coached. And they have such similar challenges. Like when I hear the challenges of the guy that's going to be passing away in six months and I go, wait, that's what you're worried about with six months to live. And it, it just shows me that as humans, we're so much more alike than we are different, no matter what walk of life or stage of life or socioeconomic status or you know, geographic location, it, it's everything is so together. And so what I find a lot is that most of my clients, probably because it's a reflection of, of the biggest work that I've had to do and have to continue doing on myself, they're people who are, are taking life a bit too seriously, who don't want to feel so heavy all the time, but at the same time, they don't want to lose their edge. Like we were talking about earlier, right? They don't want to lose their competitive edge. They don't want to lose their ambition. And they're scared that if they do that, they will feel that. And so my big thing is to help people really understand. This is what comes up a lot with, with, with my clients. Number one is, is how to know and shift your identity to, to actually serve you instead of being used by it. You use it instead. Um, how to navigate their thinking, not to get rid of stress, not to banish the feeling of anxiety or sadness forever, but knowing how to navigate it when it inevitably shows up. And then the last piece is how to, again, lose that weight, take that intentional action in the world. And when you really know how to do that, when you're aware of how to shift your identity, you're aware of how to navigate your thinking, it leads to you taking more intentional action in the world. You don't have to be heavy. And, and, and I think about you know, uh, another one of my teachers who I love, who I think you're familiar with as well, Byron Katie. You're, mm-hmm. you're, yeah. 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 So yeah. Byron Katie is amazing. One of my top three spiritual mentors that I've ever had the joy of working with and who I, I love mm-hmm. so much. And I remember she was talking one time and she said, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. Byron Katie's work, for those of you who, who have not heard of her, a big part of her work is loving what is, right? Just loving, yeah. loving what is, no resistance to the present moment. And so she talks about the fact that a lot of people feel like, they don't want to do that. They don't want to love what is 
because of the exact same thing we were just talking about. Well, if I love what is, then I'm just going to sit on the couch and eat bonbons all day and watch TV and drink myself into a stupor. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And of course, her thing is, well, have you actually tested it? And most people haven't actually tested it. But she said she actually thought that for herself as well. When she first started loving what is, she was sitting there and she goes, what if I just don't do anything ever again? What if I just sit here and like, if I love what is, I just sit here, right? Nothing happens in my life. And then she says, and then I had to pee. Mm-hmm. And that was such a profound moment because she was so worried that she wouldn't ever get out of her chair again. But then the natural system kicked in and said, hey, it's time for you to get out of the chair and go pee. Mm-hmm. And she realized like that will always happen. If I'm in yeah. an open space and my heart is open and, I'm, and I'm, I'm in a creative space, an enthusiastic space, whatever's meant to happen next is going to happen. But it's really hard to see that if we are, just like you said, if we're too sped up, if we're, if we're going too fast, if our mind is spinning too fast, we just don't see those opportunities. Super, Jason. So uh, understanding what you have said, right? So it's just I'm trying to summarize it in my head. So the biggest thing is, uh, one, being aware of themselves and then navigating their emotions. Am I right? Yeah. This is what the exactly. biggest challenge is. What do you have? What are the tools do you give them or use them to make them self-aware and then to navigate the emotions? Jason, do you have a framework or do you use any tools? What have helped you really well? Yeah, I've took tons of tools. I mean, I develop as, as many tools as possible for the exact same thing. Because you know how this works. Mm-hmm. You'll hear something, you'll hear something 10 times, but then it's the 11th person who says it to you and then it finally clicks. Yes. And so I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to have all these tools and they'll say, no, I don't like that tool. No, that one doesn't work for me. No, that's no good. Oh, that one works. And it's all for the same thing. And so, so the tools, they vary, but the goal of all the tools is to get me back to a place of having a clear, calm mind, right? Because again, something Byron Katie says, a clear, calm mind always knows what to do next, right? Who to call, what to do, what to say, where to go. That just comes. And so all of the tools I have are kind of geared towards that. So one, for example, that's, that's really, it's one of my favorites for myself that I go back to is anytime I start feeling like things get, things are getting really heavy. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling um, overwhelmed. I'm feeling frustration. I'm feeling annoyed. I'm, whatever it is, these things that feel like heavy emotions. And I want to lighten up because I believe you have to lighten up to level up. If I want to lighten up, then I ask myself a very simple question. I say, what am I making the center of my universe right now? Right. What am I making the center of my universe? Because I have a belief that anything you make the center of your universe, you are going to use all of your energy to try to protect it from failing or falling apart. Okay. So that's where the stress comes from. So I say, okay, what am I making the center of my universe right now? And I sit there and I close my eyes for a minute and I go, Uh, my business. I'm making my business the center of my universe. And that's why I'm stressed out because why hasn't this person signed up yet? And why is that other person not returning my email and, and all these things? And I've made my mm-hmm. business the center of my universe. And I say, okay, mm-hmm. so I've identified it. I identified that my business is the center of my universe right now. That's what's causing me stress. Not any of the situations, but just the fact that I'm making it the center of my universe. So then I say to myself, okay, if there's anything that I want to have as the center of my universe, it's my own experience of peace and ease. That's okay. peace and ease, peace and ease. So in that moment, I say, okay, what am I making the center of my universe, my business? And I say, okay, what would it look like instead to make my own experience of peace and ease, the center of my universe. And just by asking myself that question, I feel 
I feel like a, a, a relaxing. I feel like it's not like I go from being super uh, stressed out to being super blissed out, but <laughs> there's something shifts and I start, I, I feel less uh, tight in my chest. I feel less contracted. My, my thoughts start slowing down a little more. And so anytime you can practice that, understanding that your own peace and ease should be the mm -hmm. only thing that you focus on. And I, and I said this one time in a, a group of like 40 women, this leadership uh, conference that I was speaking at, a, a, a virtual leadership conference for these 40 women, high powered, very successful. And I share this with them. And one of the women, women raises her hand and says, okay, so I make my own peace and ease the center of my universe. Then mm -hmm. my kids don't get fed. My employees don't get paid. My work doesn't get done. That's, that's what happens. And I said, well, I mean, I guess that's one option that that, that could happen. Mm -hmm. But I know for me that if I have a kid and the kid needs to be fed, or if I have work that needs to be done, that's not being done, or if mm -hmm. I have employees that need to get paid and I don't have payroll, that doesn't contribute to my own sense of peace and ease. That goes against my experience of peace and ease. Mm -hmm. If I focus on my own peace and ease first, then I can, with peace and ease, feed my kid. With peace and ease, do my work. With peace and ease, make payroll. And so it becomes the, 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 the source address, like at the GPS, you have a source and a destination. Mm -hmm. The source address becomes your own peace and ease. And then you go out in the world and do whatever you want to do. So the biggest fulcrum or the core of uh, living is stress-free for high performance is making the universe's peace and ease center of the universe, right? Yeah. And operating from that. Do you think, will this work with everybody, Jason? For a person like me, it works because yeah. only when I'm at ease, I can perform better. If I'm under the pressure, I, I can't do things at all. And then right. uh, something which struck me uh, when we were talking about the stress, right? Uh, I was having a conversation earlier this week with a client and he also gave me the same reason. So he was talking about the same thing saying, uh, if at all I leave everything and then I, it, he said, it's making me happier. It makes me calmer. But on the other side, my brain jumps in and then says, hey, will you be able to meet the target? Will you be able to put in the salary for all the employees? Can I grow? What, what is it? And that moment, something struck me very hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt we need something called good stress, right? Stress mm -hmm. is not always bad. Yeah. And then uh, at that particular moment, something hit me, hit me like this. See, for us to move forward, right? We need some kind of force. And we cannot call them bad. Because if, if you, if you have your intentions to move forward, there should be some force, which can be good. It can be in different forms of stress, right? Like you said, yeah. if I have to feed my kids, yes, I'll have to move. If I love to feed my employees and move, yeah, we'll have to move. But ease and peace, it sounds good, but how, will it work with everybody, Jason? Can we take that as a statement for any high performance? I would, I would never say that because people are just, they're different, they're nuanced, right? So their experience is very much the same as everybody else's, but the means by which they connect to uh, a specific tool or methodology to, to, to reduce that stress or reduce whatever, that's going to be on them. The, the fun thing, though, to look at is that the people who will often say, and I, I would say this too, back in the, in the day when I was in IT consulting, I would say, no, I, I, I like the crazy pace. I like the frenetic everything and how it's, uh, yada, yada. That gives a dopamine rush for you to run. Like <laughs> but, but when I really slowed that down, it was because I derived so much of my self-worth from mm -hmm. being busy. 
mm-hmm. right? From getting stuff done, from, from getting the wins, from getting the feedback from the boss that I was doing a good job or that I crushed that project or whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with being excited to do your work. And, and if you're excited to do your work, go do your work. Just really check in to make sure that it's not that you're doing all this work because you're afraid of what it would say about you if you didn't. Right. So just checking in with that story. If there's no story and you just literally love to work at a fast pace, fantastic. I talk fast. I work fast. It works for me. And I still have to have periods of slowing down to make sure I know where I'm going next. Oh, that's cool. Let's pick up one of our favorite topics, self-leadership and personal mindset, right? How can someone identify if they are having a personal mindset instead of a growth mindset? Oh, 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 like if they have a fixed mindset instead yeah. of a growth mm-hmm. mindset. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's something that I think. So there are people who are, this is kind of more of a marketing thing, but it's important mm-hmm. for this as well, just behaviorally, is there are people who are pain aware and there are people mm-hmm. who are problem aware. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're pain aware, uh, I remember when I first got glasses when I was a kid, I was like 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And before I had gotten glasses, I was in class and I would get headaches all the time. I would always okay. be getting headaches in school. And so my, my mom would give me uh, aspirin, right? For a headache. Mm-hmm. If you have a headache, mm-hmm. you take aspirin. But the problem was, is that that was a symptom, right? That was the pain. So mm-hmm. my pain was I have a headache. The problem mm-hmm. was that I was, I had an eye, I had a vision problem and I needed mm-hmm. glasses. Things were blurry. And so me trying to read things that were blurry was giving me a headache, mm-hmm. right? So that's the difference between being pain aware and problem aware. The same thing happens with people here. They, they, if, they're, if they're problem aware, they go, oh, I can tell I have a fixed mindset because I think that if whatever I know now is all I'll ever know and I'm afraid to try that because I'm afraid I'll fail and what that would mean about me. Those people have enough self-awareness to know what the problem is. Most people don't know what the problem is. They only know the pain. Oh, my God, I'm just working 70 hours a week and I'm fighting with my spouse all the time and I can't seem to get ahead at work. And that's the pain, right? They don't know the problem. So we have to have people who can at least identify their pain and then we can help them understand what the problem is, right? That's and that's where the, the mindset stuff comes in. Mm. Super, Jason. And how do you help the high performers to uh, balance between their personal and professional uh, life, Jason? Especially when someone is on the run uh, who is yeah. working on a C-suit or a celebrity, uh, it's very difficult for them to even think of these two realms of life. So how do you help them to manage these two? I tell them they're going to die. Oh, and so that's very powerful. That's very powerful. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, it's funny. It, you know, it's even when you said earlier that you asked the monk for like a piece of, uh, you know, wisdom that would change your life. My answer would have been, you know, you're going to die, right? Like, oh, this you, doesn't you, last you, forever. You know what? Gary told me the exact same thing when I met him in New York. On the subway, I, I met him. And then I asked him, hey, Gary, can you give me a piece of advice which will help me? And then he just came in a bit and then said, man, you're going to die. And then he went away. Oh, that was so profound. Yep. And then from then on, it has become a filter for me. Say, if I'm doing something, uh, the very first filter for me, what comes in is, hey, if I'm going to die tomorrow, will I be still doing this now? Yep. If not, I will just move away. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's it. And, and I think that's a big part of it. For, for people in general, when you talk about like the balance thing and, and how do you, how do you balance personal and professional? I think that's, that's very much a, a, also an identity thing, like we were talking about before. And so before I would go into trying to balance the personal and professional, I would ask myself, 
what do I think is at risk by either pulling back on one thing or pulling back on the other, right? Because balance or integration is not hard, right? You could very well say somebody who's working 12 hours a day could work eight hours a day. And the way they do that is that when eight hours hits, they stop working. It's mm -hmm. that easy, but mm -hmm. yet most people won't do it. So the question becomes, well, what do you think is at risk? Oh, well, I won't get all my work done. Okay. And what happens if you don't get all your work done? Well, then people at work aren't going to think that I, I can do my job well. Well, and then what happens? Well, then I won't get a promotion. Well, and then, then what happens? Well, then I get stuck in a job and I don't move anywhere. And then what happens? Well, then I'm just like super unhappy for the rest of my life. Okay, cool. So what I'm hearing is you think that by cutting off work at 5 p.m., it's going to lead to you being unhappy for the rest of your life. Yeah, I wouldn't cut off at 5 p.m. either if I believe that, right? So it's about deconstructing that and saying, well, hold on a second. Who are you without all these things? Who are you without the promotion? Who are you without being seen as the most reliable person who gets all their work done? When we can be okay with our feelings, right? There's a quote that I love. It's all fears are fears of feelings. If we didn't fear the presence of our feelings, then it would be a lot easier to make decisions that are healthier for us. So that, that's where I go when it's a balanced thing. I look at the identity. Oh, that's very powerful. So it's all about uh, understanding your emotions and navigating it with self-presence in play. Yep. Is it a fast exactly statement, it. Uh, Jason? Whatever we are talking about, it's all about that. That's what even I have understood about uh, my own life. Right? This is the area where I am working as a person and I'm a coach and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, how important is fun for anybody in life, uh, Jason? I see you. Uh, see, the moment you get onto a stage or you come into my uh, show, wherever you do, you project fun as the source of your, your center of universe. When somebody else sees you, your center of universe is fun. <laughs> I love that. Thank yeah, you. That's, yeah. that's a great reflection. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you very Correct. much. That, 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 that is what is being seen. Uh, at least for me, I see you that way. Uh, right from your uh, images, right? Even on your quotes, right? The images, what you use, that reflects fun. Yeah. That that brings in peace and ease when somebody sees it. Yeah. Correct? But not many of them know this. Yeah. How do they yeah. make fun an integral part of their life? Yeah, you, you have to, at least for me, uh, it's one of those things where this is part of my uh, waiting, W-A-I-T, waiting, mm -hmm. uh, you know, have, having, carrying around that weight was when I first started coaching 10 years ago now, as we were talking about earlier, uh, I thought I had to be this very polished, buttoned up, like I was in a suit and I would do videos where it was, you know, very like serious and, and you know, professional. Mm -hmm. And I had this fear that if I really allowed my true self to come through, which was funny and silly and all these things, if I really allowed that to come through, then people wouldn't take me seriously, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody would want to hire me. Who wants to hire a guy who's making jokes to come speak at their event or, or, or work with their, their company or work with their team or coach them individually? Who's going to want that? And it wasn't until I gave myself permission and realized that that's the exact thing that is a differentiator for me. That's my unique competitive advantage. Other people can have it too as well. I'm not the only one. But in, in my space and the way I do it, that's my competitive advantage. And so I started allowing that to come through more. And so I don't actually think it's something that I don't think there's anybody in the world. Well, I shouldn't say anybody in the world, anybody in, in the developed world of people that I've met at least for whom they didn't experience fun, unconditional, unleashed fun when they were kids. So they know how to have fun. Yep. They know how to have fun, right? 
The problem is that it gets beaten into us over and over again. No, no, no. Funds for later, funds for later, funds for later. But the, later never comes, right? Or when it comes, it's when you're 80 years old and you've retired. And now, you know, you, you can you know, barely go do anything, right? Because you're 80 years old. Although nowadays, be very healthy and you can do a bunch of stuff at 80 years old. So I think the big thing here is to start giving ourselves permission to say, what if, and this is a big what if, but I, I want people to really think about this for themselves. What if me prioritizing my own joy or me prioritizing having more fun in my life, what if that is the secret sauce to me being more successful in my relationships, in my health, in my business? Like, what if that's not uh, a part, what if it's a part of being successful, not a part from being successful? Oh, that's interesting. Because, because even for me, right, uh, I'm taking it that way. Without being fun, uh, I'm not able to move forward at all. So yeah. earlier, I, like you said, I was postponing things, saying, hey, once I did this, then it'll be a part of it. Then later I understood life is all about journey and it's mm. all about the experiences. So what I have in my control is what we, in the moment as we are speaking, uh, even in this moment, we have past and future. Yep. It has a beauty two minutes or a minute back, we were in our past and then that's we good. are navigating to this, this is what is in our control. So yep. that's how I started moving it. Uh, Jason. What kind of routines or ritual do you have to keep up this energy? Jason? You will also have your dull days. So how do you refill your energy or what kind of rituals do you have to refill that? Totally. So I have a couple of things. So uh, one is kind of my own uh, internal uh, alone individual kind of routine. Mm -hmm. And then one is kind of involves others. So the one that involves others is easy. It's just making sure that I spend time with people that I love, mm -hmm. people that are people that I can. And it's not just people I love. It's people that people that I can be whoever I am in that moment. And that's okay. So okay. when I, I and I'm, I, I'm thinking about this guy, I met with a few friends last night for dinner and I was in a really good mood. I was in good energy, good, you know, joyful kind of state, all that stuff. And so that's what came in the room. But there are other times where I've been sad. I've been depressed. I've felt, you know, I felt really dark and deep and I can, I can show up with that in that room too. I don't have to mask it and just pretend I'm in a good mood if I'm really like hurting inside. And so it's really important for me to have people around me. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. I have, I could count on one hand, the number of people that I feel that way about, like at a really deep level, but that's enough, right? If you have that, that's, it, it could be one person, but I believe that everybody, every single one of us, we have to have at least one person in our life that will accept us no matter how we show up. They don't need us to be on. They don't need us to manage their experience. They say, oh, you're sad. Come. Oh, you're happy. Come. Oh, you're stressed. Come. Are you anxious? Come. It's all welcome, right? So that's one part of it that it's really very important for me. And that and that's hard sometimes to prioritize that. Again, if you're working and you're trying to get all the things, oh, no, I'll, I'll see my friends later. And I remember that was me a few years ago, and I had this, uh, this morning affirmations that I would kind of say to myself. And one of them that I added in there was, uh, uh, I, am, I am easily making time to spend time with family and friends uh, spending time with people I love is never a burden, right? And, and when I started really thinking about that, yeah, when I started thinking about that, I actually started prioritizing, like instead of I would cut off at 2 p.m. and go have coffee with a friend. Normally I'd be like, 2 p.m., coffee with a friend? No, 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 I'm still in the work day. I need to be doing my thing. And the more I did that, the more my work actually got better. It didn't suffer, okay. it got better, right? 
So, so that's the one side. Then the other side is really kind of my morning routine. My morning routine for me is it's so sacred and I know it's very cliche. Oh, morning routine, but it, but it's cliche for a reason. It works. And I was just in Europe, uh, for, uh, for Christmas and new years with my girlfriend. And because we were traveling and it's a vacation, I didn't do my morning routine almost at all. And I felt it. I felt the difference, even though I was in a beautiful place with a beautiful woman, mm -hmm. I still felt it. Mm -hmm. And so my morning routine essentially consists of, I get up around between five and five thirty AM. Typically okay. uh, I go to bed, you know, by 10, 10, 10 30 at the latest. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm up by five 30, five, five 30. Mm -hmm. I do, uh, I do my, you know, my, my probiotic, prebiotic stuff in the morning to, you know, mm -hmm. with the gut. Um, I, uh, I go and I meditate for 20 minutes. I then okay. read or watch something, uh, consciously read or watch something for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I go to the gym. So I get my, my movement in, in the morning. And then fun thing is I have a few of my friends that meet me at the gym. So now we're stacking community with mm -hmm. the, the fitness stuff, which is even better. Uh, and then, uh, and then I come back home and, and get ready for the day, take all my supplements and my smoothie and my green juice and all that stuff. So I don't usually take my first call until 10 AM, uh, you know, okay. Pacific time. And so what that does for me, the, the way I think about that is if you are a firefighter, right? Mm -hmm. When you get to the firehouse, when your shift starts, mm -hmm. the first thing they do is they go check all the equipment. They check the suits, they check the truck, they check the hoses, they check all that stuff. Because once a fire happens, there's no time to check the stuff anymore. They have to make sure the stuff is ready for when the fire happens. To me, That's my true. morning routine is that. My morning routine is I'm checking all the equipment because later on a fire is going to come and there's not going to be time to check the equipment. So I'm checking all the equipment now. I make sure it's all good to go. And then I go out in the world. Oh, this is so powerful. And you're so good at this, Jason. The moment when you said this, right, in, nobody can deny this at all. So even if someone says a morning routine is a cliche, and then when you bring, bring in this metaphor, uh, it is it is what it is. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Uh, and then uh, what skills are you mastering this year, uh, Jason? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So this year is really the year of me to, to double down on, uh, on Jason the Performer. Right. Okay. The one who loves to just perform and, and, and give people the ahas and the ha-has, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. my thing. The ahas and the ha-has. Okay. So for me, what that means is, is not only leaning even more into speaking, I've been speaking also for like eight or nine years, but it's always been something where I never did anything intentional. It just came to me and I would go do the talk and then come back. I really, I feel so at home when I'm on the stage. I just, I love it so much. It's just, it's my happy place, man. I, just, I really, really love it. There's something about that in person. And it feels like even it could be a room of 5,000 people, but it still feels like I'm intimately with the people in the room. So that, and also some TV stuff that I'm working on as well. So, so those two things are kind of the skills that I want to master this year, right? How do I, how do I master getting on as many stages as possible to impact as many people as possible? And how do I break into the TV game uh, with uh, kind of what I call stealth help instead of self-help? It's stealth help. Like it's under the radar. Like you don't even realize that it's helping you uh, because it's entertaining. And so that's what I'm really focusing on this year. So you're the, you're the first person for me to, when I started into coaching, right, Jason? So there are a few people who have uh, led me further. One is uh, Ajit. I've closely worked with him on CLC and all that stuff. Yeah. And then uh, uh, it was not sticking to me for a longer time. I was into coaching. I was doing things. Something was missing for me. And then when I did my own work on myself, I understood I wanted to 
tell the world or i wanted to work with clients who wanted to take up transformation as a fun thing yeah i love that um, and then uh, i was working with people who was very serious about transformation it was not uh, resonating with me at all and then i decided it is uh, on our first free conversation i would the main criteria to work with me is hey, can you take up transformation as a fun thing will you mm-hmm. be able to explore that with me? are you interested love that if yes yeah, let's hop on this journey then it started really working well for my client as well as for me <laughs> that, that's Funny an interesting that uh, yeah <laughs> and, i love uh, that i'm so happy you did that uh, super jason what what other things do you want to do more of this year jason other than uh, being a performer and doing this tv shows with respect to coaching do you feel anything you should do more on this year and what is your word for this year 2023 yeah yeah so so the the word for 2023 is at least one of them is performance right okay. that's definitely that's definitely one of the words uh and uh and yeah as far as anything else like i you know i'm not somebody who likes to have a ton of projects going on at once i feel like mm-hmm. it just it it spreads me too thin it dilutes my efforts uh, i'd rather have like one or two things that i'm really focused on and just like go all in on that so for me I, i'm i'm feeling pretty clear about the the path i do i really do feel like i want to write my next book i don't know that i'm going to do that this year uh but that is definitely something that's like if if the tv show and the speaking is here the book is like just hanging out right over here on the edge just want no. wants to get in the jump rope but we're not letting uh-huh. them in yet. I was about to ask you that question. When is the next book coming in? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and it may be, it actually may be, funny enough, uh, a metaphors and distinctions kind of book. So like a self-coaching book. So you could open up this book and depending on what it is you were struggling with, you would have a list of stories, metaphors, distinctions that you could use to coach yourself. If you have to pick up one or two tools, coaching tools for the rest of your life, right, Jason, what will that be? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, one of them is the center of the universe thing that still, that always does something for me. Um, and the other one is the, uh, this, this understanding of the, the level to which our consciousness, uh, sits will dictate the amount of possibility that we can see. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing I really go back to a lot, it's actually a chapter in, in prison break and it's probably the chapter I go back to the most for myself, right. Just to reread it and, and remember it for myself. is the chapter that's called your intuition is drunk right and yeah. i don't know if you've heard me talk about this before yes. yeah. so so and that that as a tool what what it comes from is is that imagine you know a lot of people talk about intuition and intuition is meant to be this you know guiding force this guiding voice inside your head that's you know meant to tell you where to go and how to be successful and all this stuff but sometimes what we think is our intuition is just fear right into we think it's oh my intuition tells me i shouldn't take that job But if you really look deeper, you may see that you're in a stressed out state. You're feeling worried about making the wrong decision or you're worried that what if I leave this job and I actually don't like the new one and then will they take me back at the old one? And now it's not intuition anymore, it's fear. Mm-hmm. And so this whole idea of your intuition being drunk, the, the metaphor that I've created for this is imagine that you have somebody in your life, a mentor, a coach, a family member, a friend that is always there for you. Anytime you need something they're there for you they always give you the best advice they always have your best interest at heart they always guide you in the direction that's going to be best for you and one day you're really struggling with something you're really really stressed out and so you say mm-hmm. okay I need to go get some help from this this mentor mm-hmm. so you go over to their house you walk in the door 
and you find them on the floor completely drunk, just drunk out of their mind, slurring mm -hmm. their words, their drool coming down their face. I can imagine that. Yeah, you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> would, would you ask that person for help on what your problem is right now? Absolutely no. not. Of course not, right? Mm. And that's what happens when we ask our intuition for help when we're in a low state of consciousness, when we're stressed, when we're anxious, when we're whatever. It's like asking a drunk person for advice. Mm -hmm. If that was really happening in real life, what would probably happen is you would say, oh my goodness, this friend of mine who's always there for me, they're in trouble right now. I need to help them. Forget about what I have going on. Let me sit with them. Let me nurture them. Let me take care of them. And then once they're sober again, if the question still is there for me, then I can ask them the question because then they'll be sober again and then I can trust what they say. And so just noticing when your intuition may be drunk, when you're at a low level of consciousness, if you're, if you have all this self-talk that's telling you you're not good enough, you suck, you should have figured it out by now. Why isn't this working? Whatever stuff that is, that's not your intuition. Your intuition will always be kind. It'll never be, it may be confronting, but it'll always be kind. And so if that's the kind of messages you're getting, ask yourself, okay, is this actually the time for me to make a decision? Is this actually the time to ask myself for advice? Or do I need to let my system settle so that my consciousness level rises and then I can ask my intuition what it is that I want? So that, that's a big tool for me as well. So, so good, Jason. And uh, I will pick this uh, intuition uh, thing for me also. I'm, I'm uh, looking at that, the moment when you said that, right? the most important thing from you, Jason, whenever you were giving us a metaphor or a distinction, right? it is easy for us to just picture that right in front of us. Uh, that is that is one thing which you do very powerfully, Jason. I really wanted Thank to you. tell you that because you uh, I've, I've I've read the same thing in the book. Yeah. But the moment when you're saying right, I saw my coach lying that way. Yes. <laughs> and then for a for a moment, it was I also saw myself lying that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I want to picture Steve Chandler laying on the floor, drunk with drool coming out of his mouth. That's cool. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, Jason, can you suggest uh, three things that people can do to transform their lives in 2023 to make it the best year and celebrate their life? Uh, number one, stop putting so much pressure on yourself for 2023 to be the best year of your life. That's mm -hmm. number one. Yeah. Uh, number two, don't take life so seriously because mm -hmm. none of us are getting out of it alive. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and number three, uh, if you focus on being of service, a lot of the ego crap just takes care of itself. Super. Thank you, Jason. If at all you write a book, right, Jason, about your biography, uh, what will you name it? Ooh, like my life story? Yeah. Um, past the donuts. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, no, for a, moment, for a minute, I thought, oh, past the donuts. Oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> it could work. Maybe it would be that. Um, I, that's, a great, that's a great question. Um, maybe like... Maybe I would call it the not so serious life. Not so serious life. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So you've crossed so many seasons of life. You have evolved so many things, right, Jason? Uh, at this moment, what would be the younger Jason be proud of? Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, really funny that you asked me that question because this morning during my meditation, what occurred to me was, that I, I fully, I fully love the person who I am now mm -hmm. more than I ever have before. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who grew up and felt unlovable and unworthy and, and not enough 
and inferior and, and just all of those things to have to be in a place now where I really love and accept who I am. The fact that I'm loud and to some people probably obnoxious and that I talk too fast and that I make stupid dad jokes and that sometimes I make inappropriate jokes and all the things that I do, but, and that I'm loving and that I'm empathetic and that I, I love intimacy with people, like all, all the things about myself that I can finally say that I love my younger self would probably really love to see that we finally got to a place where we don't feel unlovable anymore. That's very powerful, Jason. Thank you, man. Uh, thank you so much, Jason, for all your time and all the wisdom you have given to me and all for all of our listeners. It is a great pleasure. And then for us to converse, I have plenty of topics and plenty of episodes to be done with you. We will start doing it. That's amazing. I love that. I'm so happy for you, man. Pendian, thank you for for inviting me on and again, congratulations on the show and keep bringing that that light playful spirit that you have into the world, man. We need more of it. Thank you so much, Jason. Definitely. <laughs>